Good evening, my renegades. Uh, today's renegade times, you know. Yeah. My name is Sarah Jane. And that's Johnny Cash, my guitar. Let's just get into this. I used to say jump in the trenches with me. I need to start saying that again, man. Anyway, I dropped some merch today on Teespring, and it will be down in the description below. We have t-shirts, hoodies, notebooks, stickers, and mugs as well. Um, I made it really cheap for you guys, and if you uh, type in the promo code ROGUE when you order, you will get 10% off. I made all the designs myself, and uh, Hopper is actually featured in two of the t-shirts that I made, so um, go ahead and check them out. They'll be down in the description box below on YouTube and Anchor. So go ahead, rep the renegades. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, feel free to reach me down in the description below. There will be links to my Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube channel. Thank you. Let us jump in to some nasty politics, shall we? Yeah. All right. First up is uh, about this Chinese fiasco, this uh, spy balloon stuff. Like, what is this about, Mark? Marco Rubio. I thought his name was Mark Rubio. I thought it... Man, it's gonna be one of those days, isn't it? Let me put Johnny Cash away real quick. I don't even care. Usually I would edit this stuff out. But I'm not going to. Not today. Not today, Satan. Uh-oh. Okay. Let me get focused. <laughs> <laughs> Senator Marco Rubio says China delivered a message embedded in sending a spy balloon to U.S. So, okay, uh, me and my family we actually talked about this uh, issue today about the balloon and everything. And the one thing that I gotta say is that I don't believe that it is as bad as people are making out to be uh, on social media, on the news, all of that. Um, just because I feel like China has made scarier stuff before this happened, you know, like Corona, um, and TikTok, you know, being an instrument of, you know, getting information from us and stuff like that. I just feel like there's bigger things to worry about than a balloon floating across the sea and reaching America and flying over how many, what, seven states? I can't remember. But this also kind of reminds me of a story a long, long time ago about 
this boy that gets that got swept up in a weather balloon and he got carried across the United States because he was inside the weather balloon. I don't know how the kid got in there, to be honest, but it was all over the news. It was all over the country. It was the only thing anybody was talking about. And then we find out (laughs) that that was actually a publicity stunt in order for the family to get money and um, publicity, of course. So even the child in one of the interviews on the news was like, I wasn't in the balloon. I was in the attic or something like that. Like, the kid was even upset at the fact that, you know, they were lying to the press. But it just kind of reminds me of that and how that was a publicity stunt. So I believe that, you know, when the government does certain stuff, like subliminal messaging and stuff like that, they repeat it because they feel like we're not as smart I don't really think that they think that, you know, we're as smart as we actually are. But this reminds me of that incident. And, like, it was back then, everybody is talking about the the spy balloon from China. I, I'm really finding it hard to believe that this actually came from China. But, I mean, apparently... China did confirm that it came from them, but then again, manipulation, subliminal messaging, publicity stunts, China might be into that. It might be their one of their things, one of their fetishes, what they get off on, you know. But that's just me. That's my, I'm a conspiracy theorist. That's my thing. I conspiracize everything. But uh, now that I've taken out like three minutes of your time, of your life, I'm going to read the article now. (sighs) Senator Marco Rubio um, says that China delivered a message embedded in sending spy balloon to the U.S. So, Senator Marco Rubio, Republican of Florida, criticized President Joe Biden during an interview on Sunday over his controversial handling of the Chinese spy balloon um, that flew over the U.S. during the last several days. Rubio told CNN's Jake Tapper on the State of the Union um, that the American people need answers about why it took the administration so long to disclose the spy balloon's presence over the U.S. territory. He says, and I quote, I think what's embedded here is a clear message. It's not a coincidence uh, that this happens leading up to the State of the Union address, leading up to uh, Blinken's visit to China, um, let's see, Rubio said, the Chinese knew, uh, that this was going to be spotted. They knew that we were going to have to react to it. They flew it over military installations and sensitive sites across, right across the middle. I mean, look at the flight path of this thing. It's diagonal, um, and it shot through the middle of the continental United States. Alright. He also says the message embedded uh, in this to the world is that we can fly balloon over airspace of the United States of America and you won't be able to do anything about it to stop us. He added they calculated this carefully with the message embedded in it uh, and I think that's the part uh, we can't forget here. 
It's not just a balloon, or not just, it's not just a balloon, it's the principle of the thing, right? <laughs> um, it's the message to try to send to the world that America can do uh, whatever we... That America... We can do whatever we want, and America can't stop us. I understand um, his his explanation of that. I agree with that. That could be true. I just think... I really think that China has better things to do than to frighten us like that. But, I mean, like I said, we are on the verge of war. Um, we're... <laughs> One small thing to piss off China, and we're in a war, uh, unfortunately. But I hope that doesn't happen because America is unequipped. The Department of Defense is not equipped for war. And I, that's terrifying. That is very terrifying. I, I will still... I will still talk about that because that that is actually planned. That is something that... Um, the Department of, the, of Defense and the LEAA have been uh, it partners with, so they are working with the LEAA to manipulate the masses. That way, all of us will be accounted for. That's called HR 4079. If you guys don't know what that is, you can always go to your... Um, I don't know what it's called. Just go to your senator or go to the senator's office and you can always go and get a printout of that. You're entitled to that information. So, yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Let a, I'm not going to this. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing all of that. That's the whole story. But let me see here. Is there something that I need to play? There is something I need to play. It's on CNN. Well, thanks, Daily Wire. Betrayer. Joining us now is the vice chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, Republican Senator Marco Rubio of Florida. Videos. Senator, sorry, thanks so much uh, for joining us. So you have said that President Biden should have shot the balloon down earlier. The defense secretary, Lloyd Austin, said, quote, after careful analysis, U.S. military commanders had determined that downing the balloon while over land posed an undue risk to people across a wide area due to the size and altitude of the balloon and its surveillance payload. Uh, and as you heard, Secretary Buttigieg uh, just a few minutes ago said that the debris field uh, after the balloon was shot down was about seven miles long. Should President Biden have ordered that it be shot down anyway, regardless of that risk? No, not regardless of the risk. First of all, they, they can track these things. I would hope you can track a slow-moving balloon that clearly is headed here, uh, as you can see from its trajectory. I think that's one of the things we'll learn this week is how soon, how late into January did they already know that there was this high altitude balloon and what its trajectory was and where it was headed and why didn't they take action at that time? That's number one. I think the other thing that we need to know about it and understand is uh, that w why did it take so long for them to disclose this to the American public? I don't think the trajectory of where this balloon was going was a mystery. I think pretty early on, they probably, because of the prevailing winds, because of the direction that it was headed, I think it was pretty clear that this thing was going to enter the northwest in Montana, in Idaho, move its way down the Midwest, and exit the, the eastern seaboard just off the Carolinas. I mean, that's an unprecedented flight path. And, 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 I, and why did it wait till Wednesday to notify, or Thursday, to talk about it to the American people, knowing people were going to be seeing this thing? Uh, as uh, vice chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, do you know, um, has the U.S. recovered any parts of the Chinese spy balloon? has the, And did the monitoring of the balloon during its journey, as far as you know, yield any worthwhile information for the U.S.? 
Well, we won't know that until we get into a secure setting this week in Washington, and uh, probably most of that is something we won't be able to disclose in any great detail, other than to say this, and that is that, you know, they're going to try to recover this. Apparently, it's in shallow waters. We'll see what they recover from it. But I don't think the technology or the existence of these things is a great mystery. I think what's embedded here is a clear message. It's not a coincidence that this happens leading up to the State of the Union address, leading up to Blinken's visit to China. The Chinese knew that this was going to be spotted. They knew that we were going to have to react to it. They flew it over military installations and sensitive sites across, right across the middle. I mean, look at the flight path of this thing. It's a diagonal shot right through the middle of the continental United States. And the message embedded in this to the world is we can fly a balloon over airspace of the United States of America, and they won't be able to do anything about it to stop us. They calculated this carefully with a message embedded in it, and I think that's the part we can't forget here. It's not just the balloon, it's the message they're trying to send the world that Amer we can do whatever we want and America can't stop us. What information do you think the spy balloon might have gleaned as it, as it traveled? Uh, I know it was over, the, the fear is that it was over some U.S. military installations. I'm also wondering if uh, infrastructure was probably part of the surveillance uh, task it had. Well, again, it would be speculation other than to tell you that those things usually at that altitude and what they're doing is probably trying to collect on signals, on electronic information that's transiting that they can pick up on. There are various other means that they can do that as well. And that's why I go back to the whole point of the message. There are probably other ways that China could acquire whatever they acquired using this balloon. I may be wrong. There may be some unique attributes to it that I'm, that I'm not aware of yet, but we'll learn more about this week. But I think more than anything else, beyond just the ability to collect information, it is the, the, the ability to send a, a clear message, and that is that we have the ability to do this, and America can't do anything about it. If they're not going to be able to stop a balloon from flying over U.S. airspace, how is America going to come to your aid if we invade Taiwan or take land from India or take islands from the Philippines and Japan? And, and I think the fact that they would do that leading up to State of the Union, leading up to what was then Blinken's scheduled visit, none of that is a coincidence. And we need to understand clearly there was messaging behind this. So you think that, first of all, I guess there are two parts to a question I have following up on that. One is the Pentagon says that they know of the Chinese doing this at least four other times previously, once at the beginning of the Biden administration, three times during the Trump administration. It seems to be you're saying, oh, you're saying no, that's not true. But in any case, is, is the is the No, I know what difference? I'm saying. Okay, well, the difference is this. Are we aware? Have we seen the Chinese fly these balloons in the past? Yes. I think there's even Twitter pictures of it flying at one point uh, off the coast of the U.S. Uh, down south somewhere. The, the, the existence of the balloons is not a mystery to people in, in, the, in, in that field. What, what we've never seen, what is unprecedented, and whoever the source was at the Department of Defense would have to acknowledge this, what is unprecedented is a balloon flight that entered over Idaho and, and flew over Montana, over all these sensitive military installations, Air Force bases, ICBM fields, right across the middle of the country. That has never happened before. That is unprecedented. That, that it flew briefly over some part of the U.S. or continental U.S., that's one thing. But what we saw this week... It's unprecedented, and that's why everyone's reacting the way they're reacting. We've never seen this, so th this is no comparison to anything that may have happened up to this point. Your colleague and friend, uh, Republican Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, accused President Biden of, quote, dereliction of duty uh, by allowing the Chinese spy balloon to fly across the U.S. Th that's a pretty strong accusation. Do you agree with that? Well, I think the dereliction of duty begins with this. Why not on Tuesday or Wednesday? You know people are going to see this. At some point, you're going to have to disclose it. And they probably didn't want to because they didn't want to have their hand forced on canceling this uh, Blinken visit. And, and so they didn't, uh, so didn't want to have to talk about it. But why didn't the president go on television? He has the ability to convene the country in cameras 
and basically explain what we're dealing with here and why he's made the decisions he's making and what they intend to do. I don't understand. Once they get went public with it, knowing the amount of interest this was going to generate, presidents have the ability to go before camera, go before the nation, and basically explain these things early on. And, and his failure to do so, is I don't understand that. I don't understand why he wouldn't do that. And, and that is the beginning of dereliction of duty. And the second is, we have to act swiftly on these things. I think that's part of the, one of the things the Chinese are trying to message, and that is the U.S. had to see this coming and decided they couldn't or wouldn't do anything about it early on and now had to wait until this thing went across the middle of the country. And, um, and, and what are we going to do the next time this happens? Are we going to allow it to fly through here again uh, and, and, and shoot it down once again to the East Coast? I mean, these are questions the White House needs to answer, and I don't think these are partisan uh, claims I'm making. I think there would be a, a broad agreement that we need to know moving forward what our policy is going to be with regards to this. So as you noted, Secretary Blinken did cancel his trip to China uh, after it was disclosed that this balloon was, was flying over the U.S. W what additional consequences should there be for the Chinese government now? Well, I think the first consequence has to be we have to decide what are we going to do the next time one of these things heads this way? Because I don't think it'll be the last time. I think you'll see it again. Beyond consequences, I'm not sure there should be a direct individual consequence. I think the broader relationship between the U.S. and China, to anyone who has any doubts about it, now the bottom line is here. And that is, we are now, a, China has been for some time and will be the primary strategic adversary of the United States. And we should be focused on it because what they're trying to do is create a world in which they are the most powerful nation and the United States is a great power in decline. That, that, is the, that is what they believe to be the case. That is what they are working on. And we have to determine whether we're going to allow the world to head in that direction or not. And then there's all sorts of things we need to do, from how we're postured militarily in the Indo-Pacific, all the way to what kind of companies do we allow to operate in the United States and spy on us because we've invited them in, because they're in our infrastructure, in our telecommunications infrastructure, because they're buying land, because they're buying farmland, because, oh, they're, because no. they're wiping out key industrial capabilities of this country. Uh, there's all kinds of things that need to be discussed when it comes to China, because this is the issue of the 21st century. The Chinese government uh, says now that the U.S. has shot down uh, that balloon, they reserve the right to use whatever means they want to deal with any, sim any similar situation. There's even talk in the Global Times, which is basically a Chinese mouthpiece, that, that shooting down what they say is a civilian balloon uh, sets a dangerous precedent, and they might shoot down um, U.S. civilian balloons. Uh, Apparatuses. What, what do you make of that? Are you, are you fearful at all of, of uh, this escalating? <laughs> Listen, if we were to fly anything over China, they're going to shoot it down. They're going to shoot it down. And, and they're going to hold up. And they're going to take pictures of it. And they're going to go uh, bonkers about it. So I don't know what statement they're making. You can't, you can't fly anything over China now anyways. I mean, if, if we were to do that, if we were to fly a balloon over China, if the Goodyear blimp flew over China, they'd shoot it down. So uh, it's a... It's a it's what they do over there. It's, it's silly talk, bottom line. Yeah. I agree with them, though, because um, the whole thing with China is that they're very watchful. Compared to the U.S., they're very watchful. Like I said a million times before, they have so many security cameras out in public on every street corner, and they want to watch their... Um, the residents in their homes, the, the citizens in their homes, they watch all the time. And like China is the ultimate big brother. So <clears throat> it is no surprise to me that he did say that. Like, um, yeah, 
China would shoot it down. China would dissect it, and China would get as much evidence as possible for any excuse to go to war. <laughs> yeah. Okay, next up is DeSantis administration moves to punish Florida venue that hosted sexually explicit drag show open to kids. How many times do I have to say this, guys? Leave kids out of your sexuality, out of your gender confusion, please. Kids need to stay kids. Kids need to stay innocent. They don't need to be tourists in your circus. I'm not sorry that I freaking said that. The administration governor, Ron DeSantis, um, Republican of Florida, moved to revoke uh, the liquor license of a Florida venue that hosted a sexually explicit drag show that was open to children according to the, a complaint filed Friday. Sorry, um, Orlando Philoramic Plaza Foundation, a performance art center had hosted a performance of a drag queen damn drag queen christmas on december 28th an event which was advertised as being open to all ages oh my god despite warnings of the state of florida about restricting attendance uh if the performance was sexually explicit all right after the show, Florida Department of Business and Professional Regulation filed an administrative complaint to revoke the venue's liquor license after determining that the performance was explicit and there were children present. Yep, Governor DeSantis stands to protect the innocence of children. Thank you, DeSantis. And the governor always follows through when he says he will do something. I like this guy. DeSantis Press Secretary Brian Griffin. Really? <laughs> Brian Griffin from Family Guy. Yo. DeSantis Press Secretary Brian Griffin said in a statement to Florida's uh, Voice News, the complaint said the theater promoted the show using targeted Christmas-themed promotional materials that did not provide... Notice as the sexually explicit nature of the show's performance or other content. Of course, of course not. Didn't I do a thing? I did a story about a Florida couple. I think they were in Florida. I could be wrong. But regardless, this is LGBTQ plus P, maybe. But... Uh, I did talk about this in one of my last episodes, how this Florida gay couple decided to sodomize their kids and pimp them out to pedophiles. So, I am very surprised that the toxic part of the LGBTQ has the nerve to keep doing stuff like this and exploiting children and victimizing children. I mean, I shouldn't be surprised. And technically I'm not, but it's like, really, bro? You're gonna keep doing this? 
Anyway, rather than call attention to the show's sexually explicit content or acknowledge that it might not be appropriate for children, respondents' uh, promotional material unequivocally stated all ages welcome. The complaint continues. Let's see. According to the officials, the show's explicit content included exposing prosthetic breasts and female genitalia, exposing the buttocks uh, performances, performers, performers, uh, simulated masturbation and sexually explicit children's Christmas songs like Screwed Off the Red-Nippled Reindeer. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh my God. Why? Listen, I know that I have no filter and a lot of the time I say things at the top of my head and I, I am unapologetic for it. And it, to be honest, there's no real excuse for why I am the way I am. I'm just me. But just reading the title of that song reminds me that I'm not the worst person out there saying the stupidest shit <laughs> that's on the top of my head. Screwed off the red-nippled reindeer. So, my question is, was this song about gay sex or bestiality? That's what I want to know. Oh, there I go with my mouth. (laughs) I'm just surprised. Like, I always knew the drag shows were very, like, sexually explicit. And I don't understand why anybody... In Florida, oh, never mind. It's Florida. (laughs) Jesus. I'm trying so hard to stand up for this state, but there's a lot of people down there that are just stupid. I have read stories of people throwing a crocodile or an alligator, whatever they have down there. They just threw a reptile through a drive-thru window because they were angry that somebody got their order wrong. I mean, why, Florida? I mean... (laughs) So I guess no, it doesn't it does not surprise me that people took their kids to this, but common knowledge would suggest that you don't put your kids in a drag show. You don't put them in a place where they can see a drag show because it's automatically going to be sexually explicit. Yeah. But of course, it's wokeness, people. I'm, I have declared war on woke folk. And y'all are stupid as hell. The complaint said that the performance violated several Florida statutes leading um, the agency to move and revoke the liquor license. The complaint follows the, an investigation by Florida into several drag performances, including one in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> Fort Lauderdale. There's no hope for Fort Lauderdale. (laughs) Republicans in other states have also moved to prohibit children from uh, being exposed to sexually explicit drag shows. They're always going to be sexually explicit. I have not seen... I've never been to a drag show, nor will I want to. I just feel it's ridiculous for a man to actually go up there and dress like a woman. It is literally demeaning to the male gender for another man to just 
go out there and parade in a dress, flash everybody. It's just not the lifestyle that I support and it's not the type of hobby that I wouldn't that I would want any of my loved ones to be a part of. I would still love them, of course. But the thing is is that it's just not me, okay? Um I don't support stuff like that. Especially when you bring your kid to a damn drag show thinking it's not going to be sexually explicit. What the hell? Anyway, a bill intended to prevent children from attending such performances advanced in the Tennessee State Senate. Uh, The proposal was introduced by Republican State Senator Jack Johnson and uh, who told the Daily Wire in December that he is cautiously optimistic that it would pass. Yeah, unfortunately, when you make a rule, people are going to break it. Just saying. I think we would all agree that some of the video we have seen recently of some of these drag shows uh, that were quote-unquote family-friendly were anything but that. And if I attended one of these uh, with my kids, I would have been mortified and I would have wanted someone to be prosecuted for engaging in that kind of entertainment in front of my kids, Johnson said. I agree, but it should automatically be known that drag drag queen shows, drag shows, are going to be sexually explicit. Have we lost our common sense? Okay, here comes the last story in the politics section, if I can get there. Yeah. Okay. NYPD officer fighting for his life after being shot in the head. An off-duty New York City police officer is in critical condition after being shot in the head during a robbery attempt um, Saturday evening, according to authorities. The officer, identified as 26-year-old and five-year veteran of the New York Police Department, traveled with a relative to Ruby Street in Brooklyn to purchase a vehicle in a transaction arranged on social media. Uh Uh-oh. Officials said during a Saturday night news conference. Okay. Upon arrival, the suspect pulled out a gun and announced a robbery leading to an exchange of gunfire in which the officer was struck, said Michael Baldassano, assistant chief of the NYPD Detective Bureau. NYPD Commissioner uh, Kishant Sol. I think that's how you say that name, said the officer was transported to Brookdale Hospital in critical condition. Uh, please keep this officer in your prayers. He is currently fighting for his life, Soul said. Um, police asked the public for assistance in finding the suspect, uh, who Baldasso, Baldassano said fled from the scene of the shooting uh, he encouraged anyone with information to call Crime Stoppers. Um, Baldassano also said police had no reason to believe the suspect knew the target of the attempted robbery was of was off duty, was an off duty officer. Um, but he stressed the shooting remained under investigation. 
New York City uh, Democratic Mayor Eric Adams said, uh, the wounded officer is married and has children. We will catch the person uh, responsible for this act, he said. The relative who accompanied the off-duty officer is not injured, police said, uh, per the New York Daily News. Patrick Lynch, president of the Police uh, Benevolent Association of the City of New York, said, Legislators are living a fantasy world, living in a fantasy world when they talk about crime as if it is not real. We've asked for help before. We're asking and demanding help now, he said. New York Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul conveyed uh, well wishes for the officer and denounced the scourge of gun violence. I'm praying for the recovery of the off-duty NYPD officer who was shot during an attempt attempted robbery last night, she tweeted. Um, Everyone deserves to feel safe in our state. I will keep doing everything in my power to combat illegal gun trafficking and gun violence epidemic. Right. It's time to take a break. Next up is entertaining stuff, stuff I find interesting, and hopefully you guys too. I hope you guys find it interesting. We'll find something to talk about. Listen, can I just say something? Listen. Listen. I have talked about Alice in Borderland before on this podcast but let me tell you when I say I had an adventure watching season one and season two and I'm ready I'm already ready for the third season Jesus Christ I need it now (laughs) I have never been so engrossed like so enamored with a show it is incredible how Sato has directed this and all of the writers that he's picked to write each and every episode. It is chef's kiss a thousand times infinity. Okay. This show is amazing. And yes, I don't find anything wrong with it. That's just me. (laughs) I know there are people out there that are critics, probably just criticizing the shit out of this show. Shut up, that's my baby. I love that show. Anyways, uh, if you guys don't know what, um, <laughs> if you guys don't know what Alice in Borderlands is, it's on Netflix and it is a Japanese show. It has been dubbed in English for um, the Netflix here in America. I don't, yeah, I know you can get like languages, other languages as well, but I absolutely love the show. The last episode of this second season made me cry. 
and it made me so angry at the same time. I just, my emotions were everywhere. But basically the show centers around this um, guy named Arisu. And Arisu doesn't really have a purpose in his life. He, You know, now I don't want to assume anything about the Japanese culture, but um, when it comes to the culture in the show, uh, his family is very hard on him because he doesn't have a job. He doesn't have a good paying job. He um, just likes to sit and, you know, play video games all day. And he blocks everything out. And he has two really good friends that are on the same level as him. And they end up getting abducted somehow. And they get put in this replica, like, city of Tokyo. And um, they have to survive on their own by doing all of these crazy games that, um, you know, are facilitated for them, organized for them. And people die, of course. There's so many people that die in that show. I, uh, my heart hurts. Oh my god. It's not okay. But basically, it's like the Hunger Games, but so much better. So much more bloodier. Like, if you like blood, if you like people being ripped apart, if you like to see that, which, for me, I have a certain taste for that. I don't, I don't, I don't even like saying that. That sounded weird. But when it comes to, like, violence in in uh, movies and shows, for me, it's either, like, all out or it has to be, like, G-rated. Alice in Borderland is definitely just R-rated. It is uh, very all out violence. And for some reason, I'm okay with it. <laughs> a lot of the time, like, when it comes to seeing blood, I'm like, uh-uh, I don't, want, I don't want this. I don't like this. I think it's because, like, if it's a true story, then I get really freaked out. But if it's not, I'm pretty cool with it. But um, the whole show is just beautiful. I, I love the show. Um, and if you guys start uh, watching it, which I recommend you highly to do, <laughs> um, I want to challenge you, okay, to find the Queen of Hearts, to find Alice, to find the Cheshire Cat, because there are people in the uh, show that are actually modeled off of these characters from Alice in Wonderland. And I want you to figure out who's the Cheshire Cat, Alice, and the King, and the Queen of Hearts, because <sighs> you'll, you'll just find similarities to it. And um, I am just so happy. I just... I'm happy, but I'm sad, but okay, I can't really tell you much else because basically the whole game is where you have to collect every card in every suit. Like all the 52 cards have to be played. So every card has a different theme. So like if it's um, the two of clubs, then that's the level, like that's level two, but the Clubs is actually, like, group. Diamonds is, um, like, life or death situations. Uh, what's another one? 
The hearts one, which is the scariest one. It's where they mess with your heart. They pull on your heartstrings. Um, and that one hurt me when, when I saw uh, Ari Su play the seven of hearts. Because, oh my god, and they're all picked randomly. There's no, like, progression. There's not, like, one, like, level one, two, or three. It's, like, level one, like, ace of spades. And then it's, like, level seven of hearts. And it's picked randomly, and you have to be, like, really prepared for what's about to happen. But, uh, there is one card that has not been played... So if you get to the second season and you get to the very last episode, all I have to say is don't believe a damn thing. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe it. I'm telling you, don't believe it because I have been dragged along like a dang rag doll thinking they're about to leave this place. They're about to go back home to their families. Everybody who died in the game is about to be put back to life and put back to their own life. Oh! <clears throat> Don't believe the lie, people. Don't believe the lie. <laughs> oh, it broke my heart. Oh, it hurt. It hurt my heart so bad. Because you really feel like you're in the adventure with them, and I might actually just rewatch one and two just for fun. Like, ah, I cannot tell you how much I love this show. Um, absolutely 10 out of 10. If I could get it, give it any more, I would just give it infinity because it's just amazing. It, it blew my mind many times, and I love that. I love a show or a movie that just blows my mind and fucks with it, scrambles it, and puts it back in my head. But, if you guys have seen it, my favorite character is uh, Chishia. And I'm so sad what happens to him. I, I really am very sad. But that is one of my favorite characters because he's like a sleuth at every single game. You think he's not gonna fail and it's like, oh my god, why did this happen to him? Oh. <sighs> I wish I could tell you more, but I'm going to stop talking. Um, I'm actually going to talk about The Chosen now, because I went out and saw the last two episodes in theaters, and it is number two in the entire world for one of the most favorite shows out there. And I am so proud of Dallas Jenkins with him um, like doing this whole thing. He created the app where you watch the show all by himself. He created the show, the sets, and everything by himself. It has been filmed in Texas and in Israel simultaneously. And I cannot tell you how happy I am that there is a modern take on the, the story of Jesus Christ. And I know that there are so many people out there that have controversial views about what's going on in the show. And the thing is, is that just because it's the Bible doesn't mean that you can't take creative liberty on things. Because as much, as detailed as the Bible is, there are things left out in history. So we have to go back in history and find, um, 
these people that have been explained in the Bible to get more information. So that's what Dallas Jenkins does. He doesn't just rely on the Bible to tell the story of Jesus, but he's also looking into history and finding and navigating his way through history in order to tell the story as accurately as he can. And when he's able to fill in the spots, he does it so beautifully. I think he does it so respectfully as well and so creatively. Um, the whole story is about Jesus and his life um, on earth. And I cannot explain how stunning this show is. Um, I would say that if you want to start watching this, you won't regret it. I know a lot of people have a lot of like sour uh, opinions and like very negative emotions about the Bible and about church and about Christianity. Uh, I would definitely tell you that this is not going to rub you the wrong way, especially if you don't like religion. Because I love the fact that Dallas Jenkins has created this show. And when the show started out, the first season came out on the app that he created. And I love this because he was so considerate of people who couldn't buy the episodes because he needed funding in order to create the episodes and make sure that everything was paid for and he was you know able to tie all the knots all the loose ends but the way he created the app the chosen app you can get it on the play store and i'm sure you can get it on the i the not the itunes but um the app store for iphone uh but the way he made it was you get to watch as many episodes as you want but those episodes are free to you, but the donors who donate money to Dallas Jenkins in order to create this masterpiece, they're actually buying the episodes for you and you get to see who donated it to you on screen and it's it's a pay pay it forward type of deal. So someone pays for pays forward the favor and they bless, it's like it, they're blessing you as you watch it. And it he's a genius. He's a genius. I I am so so happy that this has come out one of these days. Rogue Radio is going to be I don't want to say famous because I hate that word, but it's going to be well known to the point where I'll be able to have the connections to interview Dallas Jenkins. I speak it. I speak that. I speak that favor over me. And I, I just, because I love this show. This show is just so beautiful. Um, the way they talk about how Peter, um, his wife miscarries his first child and how they have to go through that emotionally. It makes the disciples more relatable when they start going through real life problems, which is something that we don't get when we read the Bible. And I love that 
he has written it that way. Because I believe that we shouldn't see Jesus as just a deity. We all know that Jesus is the Son of God. We all know that by going to Sunday school. We all know that Jesus loves us and everything like that. But you don't actually see the hardships that Jesus goes through that are explained in this show. You don't get to see the hardship and the persecution that John the Baptist has to go through in jail. But you get to see that on screen. You don't get to see the emotional turmoil and the conflict that Peter has saying, I love following Jesus and I love doing this. I know he's the son of God, but my wife needs me at home too. How am I supposed to do both? I just lost my child. My wife lost her child while I was out being and traveling with Jesus. She feels terrible at the fact that she lost her child. She feels like it's her fault. Uh, you you get to see every aspect of every single disciple. Um, we see that Matthew is very meticulous, like he's OCD-ish, like he's the tax collector. So he's really good with numbers. He's really good with math, but his social skills are zero. You know, we get to see that. We get to see the difference between the two women Mary Magdalene and another woman who was Ethiopian and a Gentile at the time. And you get to see the differences, the cultural differences between Mary Magdalene being a saved woman, a born-again Christian, a born-again Jew, and you get to see the conflict between her and this Ethiopian Gentile and how they end up bashing, like clashing culturally and it's beautiful you get to see the sectarian soldier who has faith that Jesus will heal his son or his um what was it his servant's son which is basically his son but we get to see the the um the the dwindling of his faith in his polytheistic religion uh, in his Roman culture, you get to see how he kind of de-escalates from believing in many gods and starting to believe in that Jesus is the son of God. You get to see all of that. And it's gorgeous to see. It is so like, it's not watered down. It's not religious. It's not condemning. It is human. It is beautiful and relatable as heck. I love this show very much. And at some point, I am going to have to um, watch it myself, like by myself. That way I can like just soak it all in again. <laughs> because when I say I went in the theater wanting to be entertained, but I came out humbled spiritually... I mean it. I mean it because uh, one of the last episodes is uh, of uh, season two, I think. Is it season two? Whatever. We get to see Peter 
or Simon at, at this time, but I always call him Peter. But we get to see Peter seeing Jesus walk on the water. And we get to see the argument that he has with Jesus saying, you get to do all of these miracles for everybody else, but you didn't get to perform a miracle when my wife lost her child while I was with you, serving you. And he goes through so much emotion as he's arguing during this storm, this huge storm with crashing waves and everything. Rain is pouring down. The um, the other disciples get really panicky when he starts walking on the water and he almost drowns when he loses faith. And it, it, it is just so amazing. I cannot... I cannot explain it any different. It is just so breathtaking. And you get to see how vulnerable Peter is because Peter is, has always been like Jesus's right-hand man throughout this whole show. You get to see him like the badass disciple that he is. You get to see how strong he is and how big of a leader he really is. But then you get to see his vulnerability folding himself into Jesus's arms saying, don't let me go. Please don't let me go. Please don't let me go. How many times have we said that to Jesus? How many times have we prayed and cried out to God saying, please don't let me go. Please help me. Please forgive me. Please, 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 please. How many times have we been in a place of desperation like that? That's what I mean when it's so relatable, guys. I cannot tell you how. I can't explain it. You guys have to go and watch it. I'm almost in tears just talking about it because I'm so excited. I'm just, I'm spiritually excited, guys. I'm just spiritually excited for you guys to go out and watch this. And it's, um, it's everywhere. I know you can watch it on YouTube. I know you can watch it on The Chosen. You can watch it on the Angel app, the Archangel app. Go ahead and watch it. It is incredible. <laughs> and, um, if you have any time to catch it in theaters, please go and do it. Because you won't regret it. I promise you, you won't. You will not regret it. So, technically, this should be in um, world news. But I've always wanted to know what's up with the Blarney Stone and why everyone wants to kiss it. So, I don't know. Maybe we'll find the solution here. Eight Secrets of Blarney Castle. While Blarney Castle is not the biggest castle in Ireland, nor the oldest, that honor goes to Kittle or Kill Kill Britain Castle, about an hour south. Dating back to 1035, it easily ranks as its most popular with hundreds of thousands of travelers coming from the or coming from all across the world um, to stroll on the 1500-acre grounds, explore the 14th-century castle, of course, kiss the Blarney Stone. Um, according to legend, puckering up to the hulking, rather grimy. Extremely old stone imparts a gift of gab or elo- or eloquence. Oh, maybe I need to k- kiss it, because then maybe I won't stutter whenever I read. 
Um, but that's not the only interesting thing about this enchanting site. Okay, cool. Um, the castle came for the word. Okay. Um, the word Blarney is ma- has made its way into Oxford English Dictionary back in the 1700s based on the legend attached to the stone. The editors uh, gave the meaning as talk which aims to charm, flatter, or persuade, often considered typical of Irish people, as in it took all my Irish, it took all my Irish Blarney to keep us out of court. What? All right. Don't leave without seeing the murder room. Jesus, no, I don't want to see the murder room. I'm cool. No, I'm cool. When it comes to real life, like murder mysteries, I'm out. Bye. Um, Anyone who watches Game of Thrones understands that the life in the 1300s is no picnic and Blarney Castle was no exception. A murder room located um, just above the castle's main entrance proved crucial in uh, warding off potential intruders. Um, Anytime an unwanted visitor showed up, a sentry would drop rocks, hot oil, or whatever weapons they could get their hands on through a square hole in the floor. Wait, how did you throw... Okay. Well, y'all know that's haunted. (laughs) Scientists only just figured out where the stone came from for years. Rumors swirled around the stone's origin. It did... Or did it come from the same rock as Stonehenge? Was it related to the Stone of Scone, the coronation stone used by early Scottish and English kings in 2014? Geologists um, confirmed that the stone was sourced from 330 million year old limestone um, and that it couldn't have come from England. Molecular samples proved the rock was actually native to Southern Ireland. Okay. I still need to know, like, the full story. But, okay. Cormac McCarthy was the first person to kiss the stone. Okay. Um, No, the famous... No, not the famous author. In 1314, the stone was gifted to the castle... Um, then owner, um, King McCormick McCarthy, as a thank you for King Robert the Bruce of Scotland uh, for providing the military help that led to winning the Battle of uh, Ban- Bannockburn. That, that's how you say it, I think. Okay, according to legend, a... Oh, Lord. Uh, why are we going to talk about witches, man? According to legend, a witch who lived um, in a nearby in the nearby Druid Rock Garden told the king that the stone would bestow special gifts of eloquence upon anyone who kissed it. So he did, and the tradition has continued ever since. See, now I don't want to kiss it. Never mind. No. Nope. Nope. There's another legend out there. According to historians, the Blarney Stone didn't get its mojo from a witch at all, um, but from Queen Elizabeth I. 
still think that she's a witch, but you know. Anyway, as the story goes, the, uh, the English queen was eager to capture Blarney Castle for herself, but every time her troops showed up the storm, um, or they to storm the ramparts, uh, smooth-talking Dermot, Dermont McCarthy, a descendant of uh, Cormac, okay, um, managed to talk them out of it after multiple failed attempts. Um, Elizabeth I um, dismissed the fiasco as Blarney and the name stuck. Kissing the stone isn't as easy as it sounds. No. You have to bend over backwards and like hold on to these like handles that way you don't fall and then also somebody has to make sure that you don't fall in the hole you know but rather inconveniently the Blarney stone was built in the east wall of the battlement 85 feet off the ground Ooh, to reach it you'll have to climb 128 narrow stone steps once you've gotten to the top uh, you've waited your turn and steady yourself for the most awkward smooches of your life laying down on your back. Um, a docent will, ass- a doc, yeah, go do whatever. An assistant will, um, assist you to, uh, grip a set of iron bars, tilt your head backward and deliver an upside down kiss. It's the only way. There's more to see beyond the castle. Awesome. Um, what Irish estate could be complete without beautiful gardens? From uh, arbitrums uh, with rare trees and mystical druid rock formations with names like the witch's kitchen. Stop it with the witches, bro. I don't like this. I, I don't. I don't like it. That's all I gotta say, man. And the wishing steps. The gardens of the Blarney Castle spin a tale um, as unique as the stone itself. Uh, stop by Bog Garden, where a trio of 600-year-old um, yew trees sits alongside a gently trickling waterfall. Um, or in early spring, be lulled by the sound of rustling leaves along the estate's twin lime tree avenues. There's a poison garden, y'all. Visitors will do or would do well to heed a sign posted at the entrance of the poison garden, which warns, do not touch, smell, or eat any plant. See, my dumbass would probably be in trouble just because when I see a plant that's pretty, I don't know, I'm pretty sure that there's like, beautiful poison plants out there but i'm just gonna be like oh what does it smell like oh shit matt nope um i'm not i'm not gonna for me personally it it would not work out but opened in 2010 the highly researched collection of over 70 flora contains such toxic shrubs as henbane helm hemlock Wormwood and unexpectedly cannabis. Well, uh, though the enclosure, which keeps the deadliest specimens locked in black iron cages, occupies just a tiny fraction of the wider grounds 
it's easily the site's most popular attraction. That's... I kind of liked reading that. I enjoyed reading that, even though there's, like... I should know, because I am Irish, that there are some witch legends. But anyway, I'm done. Yo, you know what I learned? Uh, It wasn't too long ago, actually. I learned that fetishes are passed down from generation to generation. It's a family bloodline thing, y'all. And listen, if you have a BDSM kink or uh, a daddy kink, most likely you got that genetically from your mama and daddy or your grandma and grandpa. They get down similarly like you do in a bedroom, most likely. And to me, that is very disturbing. And I want y'all to be disturbed too. You're welcome. (laughs) But this next article I'm going to read is The 20 Bizarre Sexual Fetishes You Never Knew Existed. So, um, you guys know that I love psychology. Sex is also psychological. It's not just something physical. It's, it's uh, emotionals, physical, spiritual, and mental. All of it combines into one experience. And some people get off on certain things, and that's when sexual attraction becomes psychological because you have fantasies and you have um, daydreams of certain things. And that all does, gen- like genetically, generationally, you do get it passed down most likely, but um, a lot of it is psychological because when you see somebody attractive, you feel a certain way, of course. I don't really have to explain the science behind that, but um, it is very psychological. Everybody's had that, um, you know, sexual kink. Everyone has their own thing, and uh I don't believe there's anybody out there that actually doesn't have a fetish. And if you say that you don't, you're a liar. (laughs) Everybody has their thing. Everybody has a certain thing that they like, whether it be small or really big. So we're just gonna, we're gonna talk about this. Okay. (laughs) Um, Agamalmatophilia is the attraction to inanimate objects. So this is something that TLC has decided to pick up. Um, And I've seen people actually make out with their car, make out with a chandelier, make out with a piece of the Golden State Bridge, or even have sexual attraction to a carnival ride. So this is actually a thing. And like I said, this is mental as well as physical. So, you know, like statues, dolls, and mannequins, I don't blame them. Some mannequins are pretty damn hot. No, they're not. Good God. Especially Kim Cattrall, who is now more plastic than person. Ha ha. Macrophiliacs get off on giant things. So, yep, there is a giant fetish out there. There's actual... (laughs) There's actual... 
things out there. There's actual porn stars that get paid to stomp on like little um, models of cities and people get off on that. I don't know why, but the innovations in editing, there are films that depict massive individuals um, engaging in sexual acts with regular sized folk. Ooh, okay. Ooh, that made me shudder. I don't like that. Um, that doesn't mean some uh, Andre of the Giant fan fiction. Oh, I'm talking Godzilla-sized dong. Oh, Lord. So, uh, maybe Andre the Giant fan fiction? <laughs> Not all fan fiction is sexual, y'all. Um, I'm a fan fiction writer myself, and I don't like it when it crosses the line to sexual stuff. I just don't do that. But... Uh, sectrophiliacs are riled up by ghosts. Now, that is that is a mental illness, y'all. <laughs> you get sexually attracted by ghosts. Now, I told you that sex is spiritual, and um, this is actually a segue to that. So, sex is spiritual. When two people connect, literally, physically, um, their spirits intertwine. Their spirits connect, and you're... Sp- Hi, honey. What's up? <laughs> um, but yeah. When it, when it comes to spiritual, it is a spiritual thing. Um, that's why it says in the Bible, biblically, biblically it is a act of worship um, within marriage so uh and the reason behind that is um because like i said fetishes are generational so are familiar spirits so when um someone that you find that later on that you you know have decided not to marry but you've decided to have sex during that relationship you have had sex with the other people that they have had sex with before you and it goes on and on and on and on and on and with that um it does spiritually take a toll on someone's um soul and spirit so that's how i believe spiritually we get mental illness that's how i believe we get certain things and i know not a lot of people will agree with that that's fine but needless to say the article says Bustin makes them feel good. Okay, yeah. Don't have sex with ghosts, people. Good lord. Trichophiliacs dig long hair. Now, that's not a bad thing. Like, I like long hair. Like, on me. <laughs> um, I am having a hard time, like, growing my hair out, but... Uh, I'm curious how long is considered fetish long because I may have a mild case of this. Call me. (laughs) Yo. Um, I love the author of this uh, article. He has a sense of humor. Kleptophilia is all about stealing, of course. Sure, some people get a rush out of stealing, but it actually sexually arouses these people. I'm guessing uh, they're huge Jane... They're huge Jane's Addictions fans, um, too. Okay. Catotropinophilia is a fetish for mirrors. 
Okay, um, since we're already down the rabbit hole, fetishes, um, there are people out there that actually masturbate in front of the mirror. <laughs> they do. They have sex in front of a mirror. They they do it. It's a thing. I don't know why. I, I know. No. Uh, these people enjoy masturbating in front of uh, their own reflection or having orgies in front of mirrors. How do you have an orgy in front of mirrors when there's like a bunch of people and you can't see them all in angles unless you just fill the room with... See, now I'm trying to figure out the schematics of a room and how they... Di- <sighs> also, you ever notice when you masturbate to a video of yourself masturbating, it's the perfect length? What the fuck? I'm done. Abaciophiliacs are into leg braces or other, or other orthopedic appliances. Are they into old people too? <laughs> These people probably love the first half of Forrest Gump and then shut it off since he starts running. Most of us do, actually. <laughs> okay. Coro... Yeah, no. Cor- corporophilia is the sexual attraction to feces. I thought that was fecalphilia. I guess that that could be another word for it, but most, um, I'm gonna say fecalphiliacs, but, uh, most fecalphiliacs enjoy watching others go number two. There is, however, a subcategory called chorophagia, which is the sexual fetish of eating (laughs) doo-doo. Jesus Christ. Two girls, one cup makes so much sense now. Wait, no, it doesn't. Of course not. Man, back in the day when that came out, I think I was like a sophomore in high school. And everybody was talking about it like, yo, have you seen two girls, one cup? Oh my God, it's gross, but it's hilarious. And all this other stuff, like the trends back then, like the things that we saw back then. Like, I don't like it. Like, everybody was talking about it. And most of them probably didn't even see it. (laughs) But, um, yeah. Hitler, who married his cousin, actually loved, uh, loved his cousin, uh, shitting on his chest. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Homophilia is all about sexual fantasies with homeless people. Listen, homeless people have uh, problems, like more problems, okay? They, they, they just, they have enough problems, people. Leave them alone. But hey, want to go back to your place? Sorry, I don't have a place. Sploosh. Why is that a turn-on? Tripsolagiacs? I'm sorry. Tripsolagiacs. Laganiacs are aroused by having their hair shampoo. <laughs> How true. See, I have stories. I have stories. It hasn't happened to me, thank God, but it has happened to some of my classmates when I was in uh, Paul Mitchell um, doing um, cosmetology classes. So, um, when we were finally like serving people on the floor, we would always like shampoo their hair of course like that's a staple that's something that you have to do um sometimes they would get a wash in style a haircut any type of um 
thing that they had, we had to shampoo them at the end and dry their hair and everything. So that was the whole process. So uh, there are people out there that actually uh, get turned on by us massaging their scalp. And some of them actually do ask us to go rougher. And sometimes they let out a little moan and they, they don't necessarily mean it to be sexually. It's just something that feels good. Like how many people like their hair, like their hair messed with and played with. Like that's kind of how it is with uh, people who come in and want their hair massaged and they, they get a little, they get a little freaky. They do. And uh, sometimes, they, no, they just can't help it. Some people get um, aroused by massages. Literally, like if you hit a certain spot, they'll start orgasming. It, it happens. It happens. Like I said, sex is physical as well as all the other ones. But um, yeah. <laughs> Um, they are lucky because they can go get their hair washed at the nearest hairdresser. Exactly. And it is basically like visiting a rub and Jesus. Axilism is the desire to have sex with someone's armpit. I don't get it. I don't get the attraction. It's hairy. It's smelly. It's sweaty. I mean, I guess... Uh, at the right angle, with enough imagination, perhaps some lube on a hot, sweaty day. <laughs> Paraphilic infantilism is the fetish of wearing a diaper and pretending to be a baby. Yeah, well, at least there's no cleanup. Well, um, depends if they want to be wiped, because that's part of being a baby, right? But yeah, no, that's a common thing. That's a common, um, that's a common fetish. <laughs> Clinoiophilia means you have a thing for turtles. <laughs> Why? Why did the movie The Master of Disguise... <laughs> Why did that... Why did The Master of Disguise... Okay pop into my head, man. <laughs> I am a proud member of the Turtle Club. Turtle! <laughs> Yo, can you imagine someone who actually who actually has this fetish went and saw that and was like, oh. <laughs> I don't mean those tall, ripped, sexy Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, I forgot about those. Um, this is an, ar <laughs> an arousal to plain old ordinary stupid <laughs> it, wouldn't that be crossing the line to bestiality though you need to get help formicophiliacs have a bug thing <laughs> no 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 uh, fun fact Cleopatra had a bulb like glass thing that she used to um, fill with bees and uh, she would press it up against her thing. And that was the first um, vibrator. <laughs> um, and by thing, I mean having them crawl on your genitals. Also, no, yeah, no, 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 not me. Nope, nope. <sighs> Hemo, or hemato, uh, hematolagniacs are basically sexual vampires. Oh my God, they have a blood. 
<clears throat> oh my god, they have a blood fetish. No, 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 no. Um, they drink blood in a sexual way. It's uh, like real life Twilight. I knew they had to be. There had to be a word for those sexy vampires who prefer sparkling uh, to smiling. Ha ha. Yo, I might, I might not be able to do this one. Uh, your susagalmatophiliacs get randy from teddy bears. <laughs> Why? Well, technically that would be a furry fetish, wouldn't it? Um, these are people who would toss aside Mila Kunis, Mila Kunis and Mark Wahlberg <laughs> to get to Ted. They're also the only people who want to see Ted 2 twice. Um, claustrophilia is the sexual attraction to tight places. I can understand why some people want to have sex in a plane's bathroom, but I will now cosh- consciously avoid making a dirty joke involving tight places and move on. Haha, <laughs> I already did. Uh, climacophiliacs achieve sexual arousal from seeing someone fall downstairs. <laughs> I laugh when someone falls down the stairs and then I'll ask, are you okay? <laughs> but yo, somebody just gets aroused when someone gets hurt. Now, that's abusive. <laughs> the longer... And the more painful the tumble, the hotter it is. Those are the absolute worst people to watch Looney Tunes with. Oh no. Mysophilia is when rotting flesh turns someone on. Oh no. Oh no, no. No, I, nope. Nope, that's necrophilia. I don't care how you spin it. That's necrophilia. Uh, basically, The Walking Dead is like a climax. <laughs> So, uh, cell, cell, cellismophilia is arousal by stuttering. Oh my goodness. I can understand why the listens on my anchor are so high now. Hi. Uh, I can only imagine how some people react to me stuttering by trying to read an article. <laughs> Whether the person who gave it such a hand to, or such a hard to pronounce name, um, is just cruel or really good at turning people on is up for debate. Well, I think I just turned somebody on. I hope not, but you know, it happens. All right, that's it. Thank you all so much for listening. I will see you in the trenches next time.